I'm Tefra Jemian. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. I'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area. So. Today we have Christina Forrest with us. Christina is the author of I Want to Be Where You Are and Now That I've Found You, which is coming out at the end of August, August 25th, and which we just reviewed last week. She made time to call in from Brooklyn. Um, Christina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So first off, can you tell us a little bit about when and how you started writing? So I, I guess most authors say that they started writing as kids, and that is what I did as well. But it was just like little short stories that were based on picture books that I'd read. My grandmother was a teacher, and we spent a lot of time at her house growing up while my parents were at work. And uh, she always had workbooks and (laughs) books for us to read. And uh, she, she had this huge library. And so learning is something we were constantly doing even before we started preschool, really. Uh, and so I was always an avid reader, and I remember the first story I wrote was, I was around eight years old, and I titled it The Magical Mongoose. It was a story about two girls. They were they lived in England. I don't know why I was obsessed with like stories about British orphans, but they, both of their parents died in a carriage accident, and but their father had left them this stuffed mongoose and after their parents died the mongoose came to life and it was just this story for these two sisters and this magical stuffed mongoose that they would you know go on these different adventures and um, it was a very short story and that was the that's the first thing that I remember seriously writing and I always really enjoyed picture props in school and I would just go on and on, even once like the time limits were up or once the assignment was over. I just wanted to keep writing, and I really enjoyed enjoyed doing that. And you know, once I was in high school, I thought that I pursued dance professionally because I was a ballerina and I loved to dance. I was dancing almost as I loved dance almost as much as I loved reading. And but then in high school, I kind of my senior year, I kind of decided that I did not want to professionally pursue dance anymore. And I decided that I actually just wanted to write. And so I went to college for and got a writing degree. And then after undergrad, I went straight to grad school to get an MFA in creative writing. And after I got my MFA, I was like, okay, this is so much money. <laughs> Let's take out so many loans. I do not come from a wealthy family at all. Um, and I was in New York, still in New York now, but this program was the New Schools Writing for Children program in New York, and I got was able to get a job in publishing, so I had steady income, 
but I was like, you know, I didn't just waste all that money or time. I'm going to take it very seriously to try to become a published author. And uh, that's when I started seriously working on the book that will become I Want to Be Where You Are. And that was the summer of 2016. What a great origin story. <laughs> I don't always get a great origin story from that question. That's a great one. Wow. I love I love that you brought up English orphans because I remember also writing a story as a child about English orphans. And I remember my mom just being like, what, what did we do? Why are you always writing about your parents dying? Yeah, there's just this fascination. It's maybe the independence. And I was just going to say, I still think that that somehow finds its way into my books because I tend to write plots where the parents, where the ch- kids, or the teens are, are physically removed from parents. And so they have nothing, they sort of hover above the plot, but they are not there on the everyday because I don't like to really write parents into books. I just rather have the kids, the teens be independent and try to figure things out on their own. I think there's also something a little like fun and like slightly naughty about that. It's like these people who are just sort of like going behind their parents' backs to do certain things or they're keeping secrets from their parents and they're trying to figure it out on their own. And so that's sort of their coming of age is figuring out what it is to be an adult. And I think maybe that stems from the stories that I would write about kids who didn't have parents. You know, it's still sort of like a thread that tends to be in my, in my book. It's interesting hearing you talk about that because I, I definitely noticed, like <laughs> having just read Now That I've Found You, also noticed that theme. And I think it's cool. And it really is something that adds to the coming of age narrative because that's such a big part of being a teenager is finding time away from your parents and, yeah. and sort of figuring out who you are in that. But I think it's interesting because there's, I would say the, ch- the characters are physically absent from their parents, but their parents are still very much present, um, especially in I Want to Be Where You Are. Like I remember, so I'm a parent, so I I have noticed since having kids that I notice parents in books more. (laughs) It's like a special interest now. (laughs) (laughs) I never did before, but definitely noticed, noticed kind of, it's almost like there has to be a physical separation for teens to get to that autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. So... I Want to Be Where You Are was your first book, your first novel, anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about where that book came from, where Chloe came from, and sort of how that story came to be? Yeah, so Chloe and Eli and Larissa and Raina, I think it was just those four, they were pulled from a story I was working on while I was in grad school. Before I got to grad school, I had never written anything to completion. I wrote a lot of short stories about teenagers or in middle schoolers, but I never tried to write a full-length novel. And the summer after my first year of grad school, I was like, you know, I want to write a uh, complete novel. And what I had been working on that semester, I finished over the summer. And it was completely different. Chloe was a cheerleader. Eli was, he he and his friends ran this, like, <laughs> like underground Uno card playing tournament. I mean, it was completely <laughs> silly. But Larissa was still Eli's older sister. Raina was still Chloe's best friend. Chloe was still a kind of um, sheltered, 
innocent character, and Eli was the older boy who uh, she had a crush on, and he had like a bit of a chip on his shoulder, and so the personalities were all still the same. And I got an idea, uh, I actually dreamt this, I had a dream about a girl and a boy, and I can't really see what they looked like, but I, they were on a road trip. They were in a car driving somewhere, and I just knew that the main character, the girl, was anxious mm-hmm. about wherever it was that she was going. And so when I woke up, I was like, I have to write this down immediately, or else I will forget. <laughs> um, and so I sort of sketch, started sketching it out, and I was like, well, who can I put in this story? Should I create characters? You know, because when, you, when you write, you sometimes have ideas that once you try to work on them, they don't really pan out, but you like the characters, so you sort of just keep them filed away in the folder of your mind. And so I was like, well, I already kind of know Chloe and Eli and the rest of this cast. What if I just sort of take them and drop them in this plot? And that's what I did. (laughs) But um, I did not want Chloe to be a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. At first, um, so I knew that she had this goal and she had a single-minded approach to this goal to travel and do something related to this goal. And I was like, well, what if it's an audition? What if she's in the arts? Um, And at first she was a piano player, but um, I wanted her to be doing something that was a little more physical, that when I could write the scenes, you could see her physically moving. And I was like, okay, well then, number also I'm not a piano player and I don't like to do research. So I was like, well, she could be a dancer, and I had spent many years doing ballet, so I made her a ballerina. And, you know, it just it just happened to work. So, and then I made Eli an artist. Uh, my brother went to art school, and he's, you know, very much into art and graphic design and stuff like that. So that was also pretty easy to incorporate into the plot. And then I just started writing. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you, because, again, that was like a really great origin story. <laughs> and I love hearing how books started out I love hearing that like development and I love dance books so I'm I'm really happy that that's where you landed finally (laughs) I'm I'm not a dancer but I love dance books Mm -hmm. um so can you talk a little bit about some of the books authors or stories that have influenced you as a writer those can be like books you read as a teen or books you're reading now however whatever feels right. Yeah, um, I was a huge fan of Sarah Dessen when I was a teenager. Um, And actually reading her books was what encouraged me to pursue writing. So she has been a huge influence on my work. And I also really love Stephanie Perkins, but particularly Lola and The Boy Next Door. Mm -hmm. I think that that book is just perfect. That's the first book that I that I, at least that I can remember in recent memory that when I read it, I read it in a day, and once I finished, I literally started right over mm. because I liked it so much. Also, um, I really loved uh, To All the Boys. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great book. And one of my other favorite books is uh, If You Come Softly by Jacqueline Woodson. I think that she is just such a brilliant writer like rhythm her the rhythm of her sentences she just writes in such a succinct and economic way and it's just it it, where it feels so effortless but you know it takes hard work to get the sentences to be so effortless and her books tend to be so short but they're just so 
Good. <laughs> I just I try to, and particularly in that book, if you come softly, the main boy character uh, Jeremiah was so soft. You know, because a lot of in media and in society, black men and black boys are just you know viewed as being tough, and they have a very, very negative image. And she wrote this, and which I, which is not true, obviously, because I'm a black person. I have black men, brothers, my dad, cousins, everyone in my family, and I know that that's not true. And so when I read "If You Come Softly," and she wrote, she writes, or she wrote Jeremiah, and he's so soft and like, just he's such a beautiful character. And there's this one scene when he's thinking about how his parents are divorced. And he feels really alone, and he just sees sitting on his bed, and he starts crying. And I had never seen that written before. I don't think in YA period, regardless of the boy's race, but particularly a black boy. And I was like, wow, this is just, like, amazing, you know? Um, and I also really appreciate uh, Everything, Everything by Nicola Yoon mm -hmm. because I read that when I was in grad school and, you know, I was in that stage where I was trying to figure out the stories I wanted to tell. I always knew that I wanted to write romance. Like, that was always the thing. Um, but I was like, well, do people care to read romantic stories about black girls? And then I read Everything, Everything and that kind of, you know, and inspired me or validated that, you know, this is something that I should pursue. Um, there are so many more, but those are the ones that come to me off the top of my head. I read a ton of adult romance. I actually read more adult romance than anything else mm -hmm. for the past couple of years. So I, I could go on a huge tangent about all those books too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think your love of romance absolutely shines through um, in the books you've written. And uh, I know I, I love that you started with Sarah Dessen because I guess, as you know, Eunice and I, who were also both big Sarah Dessen uh, <laughs> fans in high school, really felt a, a strong connection between Sarah Dessen's work and these these books, but mm -hmm. in a really exciting way because it's a new story in a genre that we really love. And I think we've we really noticed between I Want to Be Where You Are and Now That I've Found You, there's there's a definite consistency of voice and style uh, that's very strong that you don't always see in a debut, um, or I guess not a debut author because you've written two, but you don't always no. see that from the very beginning of somebody's work. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you think about kind of the voice and the universe of your books. So voice is always tricky. It's this elusive thing <laughs> that you don't really know. I don't know how to talk about voice. I'm going to be completely honest with my answer. <laughs> um, it's just kind of like the character comes to me, and I know what they like and don't like, and I know how they would view the world. And because I write, or I've written those first two books in first person, it was, it's just, I don't know. It just sort of, once, once I have the voice, it's just sort of like I'm off to the races, really, especially especially with Evie, mm -hmm. because she's so, like, I don't even know how to describe her, but she's so jaded and, like, I don't even know. I don't want to say she's negative, but she's, like, she's got, like, some spunk to her. And, you know, she was, once, once she came to me and once I knew what her attitude was, 
it's very easy for me to put her in situations and know exactly what she would say and how she would see the people around her. Um, to answer your question, I really don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I. I don't know if I look at. I think I look at voice very in a very simple way, mm-hmm. where I sort of start with what a character wants internally and externally, right? And then uh, what that what those goals mean for their personality. So if this person wants, uh, in Evie's case, she is an actress and she wants to be famous. So how would a girl who's an actress who has a famous grandmother who wants to be big and famous, what would her personality be like? And then it's like, okay, well, her personality, if she's rich, you know, and she's wealthy, she, um, you know, sort of has a certain perspective on life. And if she is so driven to be famous, then she has a, she's a little single-minded, right? She can't really see other things that are happening around her, only her goal. And so therefore, what would she sound like when she's talking to somebody? And then once I know that, it's just, I don't know if that's a clear answer. <laughs> uh, but it just kind of comes to me once I think about those things. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just keep going. And then along the way in the draft, her voice solidifies. So when I'm revising, I go back and say, well, she might not think this, or she might actually use this certain vocabulary. For sure. Yeah. There was another part to your question. It was voice or something else. Um, Oh, yeah. No, I was thinking about the universe. And if you think like deliberately because because I know you linked these two books and they are kind of in the same world. Um, And I'm curious if that uh, like where that choice what that choice was informed by for you and if there is it, kind of a larger universe that your books live in it was definitely inspired by like the Anna Lola Isla books and also Anna Sarah Dustin does that as well um, where you just want like an easter egg where the, the, whoever read the first book and they see something like oh wait like you know there's like that meme of Leonardo DiCaprio pointing his finger at the TV in a movie and it's like <laughs> that's like when I want the readers to like wait like that's so and so um I've always really liked that I liked that experience as a reader so I wanted to create that as a writer I don't know if it will continue to happen in more books I would like it to but sometimes depending on what the book is it doesn't work organically. Mm-hmm. And so I never went, it took me a while to plant the Easter egg in now that I found you. The first few drafts, it didn't work out that way. And then when I finally found the space for it, I was like, yes, finally. Um, and, but it wasn't like that originally. So I would say I would like to do that, but if it's organic to the yeah. plot. Cool. Um, thank you for for satisfying my curiosity it's something I (laughs) it's something I also really like in books and like I think it's one of the first things I became aware of like a thing as a thing an author does Mm -hmm. as a teenager thinking about writing so it was like exciting to find so yeah let's let's talk a little bit um more about now that I found you, which is uh, again coming out August twenty fifth, make sure you pre order it. It's really good. Where did the character of Evie come from for you? 
Uh, you know, I feel like I wrote this book in a fever dream. It's still taking, and now I'm like in this position where I have to answer questions about it, and I'm like, I don't know. Um, because it was my first time writing a book under deadline. Hmm. And it's just a completely different experience. Um, you know, I didn't have a year and a half to marinate over it. It was just sort of like, all right, now it's time to do the next thing. What is the next thing? I had been working on a different book. I cannot remember what that book was, but I was in the very early stages of it, but then I wasn't in love with it. And I think that, I think it's important to be business minded as an author when you're building your brand, but I also still think it's really important to try to write what you love. You know, if you, I, I always want to find the heart of a project because then it just makes it easier because it's so hard. Writing is hard. Especially when it's so such a solitary thing. So it's nice when you can say, you know, this sucks right now, but I still love this book. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to make sure that when I took on the next project, it was going to be something that I loved. One day, I get my best ideas when I'm either sleeping, apparently, or in the shower. So I was washing my hair, and I sort of pictured this boy and this girl standing in front of this really big house and I knew that the, that the girl she had something to do with the person who lived there the boy did but in a different way like I knew that there were differences in class between the two of them and um, they were confused about something that's all I really knew and that sounds very vague but it's very vague to me mm -hmm. and so I got that image in my head because I'm a visual thinker and so I was like, huh, what's that about? And then I just, that's, that's where the kernel that I did for the story started. And with Evie, I don't know even how I came up with her name. I'd have to look through my old <laughs> notebooks. But I knew that her grandmother was named Evelyn. I used, there's a woman who was best friends with my grandmother when I was younger, who her name is Evelyn. Mm -hmm. And she was, or her, it was actually pronounced Evelyn. But uh, she was so classy. She would get every Christmas. She would give me these uh, pins to put on my sweaters, and they would just be the most gorgeous, like pearl pins. And I'd be like, "Where will I ever wear this?" You know, I was just like this like rowdy kid. But I was just always so enamored with just how classy she was. And my grandmother, both of my grandmothers, actually are very classy, uh, beautiful, well put together women. So their personalities all went into. Gigi, but I knew that I wanted Gigi's stage name to be Evelyn because I think Evelyn is such a beautiful, classy name. And I was like, well, if this main character is a descendant of this Evelyn person, then it wouldn't be interesting if she was her namesake. So she's like sort of living in her shadow and she has the same name, but she's 18 in 2020. Would she go by Evelyn? No, she'd be called Evie. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of where her name came from. Yeah, she just, I don't know, she just kind of came on the page. I knew that she wanted to be like her grandmother, and I knew that she had adversaries because of her connection to her grandmother. And I wanted to have this cool mystery element to it, where her, she has this famous grandmother who goes missing. Um, and how much that would stress someone out. <laughs> and so that's so that she, I think that Evie can be a little erratic because that's a very crazy thing to happen. 
Um, you know, she's got a lot of stressors hanging over her head, and so that all informed her character. And I really love to write uh, fish out of water stories. So you know, here's this girl who grew up uh, in you know partially in Beverly Hills, then in Malibu, or in her grandmother's like huge New York City townhouse on the Upper West Side. She's lived a privileged life, and so what happens when she can no she no longer wants to wants people to know who she is, and she ends up spending time with a boy who's you know Brooklyn born and raised lives in this one bedroom apartment with all these boys and it's like filthy not filthy but it's junky, mm-hmm. and you know he's sort of just like you know he's just an everyday person. So what would it be like if she had to live as an everyday person? And how would that inform her character? And that is, you know, all of that went into uh, the creation of Evie. Yeah, I, I always really love the kind of Roman holiday feel in a story. When it's, yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, and it's really fun in this one. I would love to hear a little bit about uh, the boys that you write, you know, especially in... in uh, now that I found you, since it's, you know, the one that's coming out soonest. Um, mm-hmm. But you talked a little bit about wanting to see more representation of sweet and vulnerable and emotionally intelligent boys in YA. And I, I um, personally would say that you've created that representation in your books. But I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you go about writing these, uh, the dream boats, I guess. <laughs> People really like Milo. Oh, I mean, I love I will say that. That's just like, you know, it's very consistent feedback is that people really love him. And I'm very glad for that Um, because he was hard. He was a hard character to write. So I like to say that Eli was the boy I knew in high school. Milo was the boy I wish I knew in high school. (laughs) I kind of, so with Eli, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to think. Where where I get my inspiration and where it comes from, I, Milo was the antithesis of Eli. So I guess I have to start with Eli. Eli, I knew that, and he was the antithesis of Chloe. Like Chloe is a super sweet girl. She's innocent. She's you know a little sheltered. What? And I wanted it to be an opposite to attract romance. So mm-hmm. then, what would her opposite be? Eli is prickly. He's got a chip on his shoulder for X amount of reasons. And he's, you know, lived a little bit more life than Chloe has. And so, therefore, this is who he is. And when I started writing, now that I found you, I was like, you know, who are the opposites of Chloe and Eli? Because I don't want to do the same thing again. I don't want to write the same character. So, if Chloe is sweet, Evie is prickly. Or she, if Chloe is, if Chloe doesn't distrust people until they give her a reason to. Evie distrusts people before they even, like before, she automatically distrusts you and she doesn't trust you until you give her a reason to. So it's sort of the opposite. And if Eli is a little tough to know and you have to you know, pull down his barriers to really see his heart, then Milo wears his heart on his sleeve. And so I started writing Milo's character in reaction to Eli, basically. Um, and Eli was very easy for me to write because when someone has, you know, because Eli was hold, he's holding on to a little bit of pain, you know, because his parents are divorced and 
he doesn't want to be like his dad, but he feels the pressure to be like his dad, and therefore he acts out. And he really loves art, but then he feels like maybe art isn't worth pursuing because of what he's been told, and that frustrates him. And so he has a lot of feelings. And so it's easy to write someone who has a lot of pain, mm -hmm. honestly, because you know what drives them. And um, Milo was so difficult for me for a long time because he's nice. He is a boy who is nice. And his problems, and I don't want to give anything away, but his problems aren't so deeply negative. And so how was, I was like, how do I make this boy who is so nice not be one note and flat, you know? And I was like, because I want this him to be a black boy who is sweet and I, I love stories about bands I love this lullaby and I love um, Audrey Waite by Robin Benway was one of my favorite books as a teenager mm -hmm. and so I've always loved the incorporation of bands or music into YA and I was like I want to write a boy about a boy who's in a band and he has these band members and but they're an R&B group which you never see and they're like living this musician life and they just sort of decided, you know, we're not gonna go to well, in college, but the rest are like, we're not gonna go to college, we're gonna pursue this dream. And um, I've always found that very admirable. And it was a lot of wish fulfillment with Milo. I was like, these are all the things that I've seen in YA, but mostly with white characters. And you know, this is, I want, I want him to be like so swoon worthy that somebody like Evie, who has so many barriers up has no choice but to drop them because that's who he has to be right like in order mm -hmm. for Evie to fall in love with a someone it, he has to be so sweet and endearing that she second guesses herself so that's sort of where yeah <laughs> the boys come from <laughs> yeah at least those two boys that's where they came from yeah I, I yeah I love Milo I I actually love them both um but I think there's something about also his self-confidence he has yeah I, I again don't want to give <laughs> too much away but he he has a knowledge of himself and what he his abilities are um mm -hmm. that sort of drives a lot of his choices at least that's how it seems to this reader um mm -hmm. and I like that I love uh also you brought up liking YA with bands and you know this lullaby um Audrey Waite classic YA books about bands and one of the things I really love that I think we talked about a lot last week is your ability to take the really the hallmarks of YA romance um and update them but keep the sort of the comfort factor and I mean, obviously, that's especially a treat when you're an adult <laughs> reading books that remind you of the books you read in high school. But I, I feel like there's like an awareness of the genre that's really fine, um, really yeah. finely attuned. And I really appreciate that about your writing. And if I mean, if you have anything to say about that, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I mean, I've been reading YA since, since it was, since I was the target audience. And so I've definitely do feel like a student of YA and not just and that doesn't even take in like I'm not even talking about my MFA that because I was like legitimately a student <laughs> of YA but I mean as a reader um I just really love the genre and I feel like that's where my heart is and I've been an observer for so long and 
You know, when you said that, I thought of this, uh, something that Helen Huang once said, and Helen Huang is a uh, Vietnamese American, and she writes adult romance books. Mm-hmm. The Kiss Quotient was super popular. I loved it, and then also The Bride Test. And when I read her, I mostly read a lot of historical romance. Um, but you know, a lot of romances mostly white people. Um, and Helen Huang once said that you know she has read romance since she was in high school. And in her books, she's not doing necessarily anything new in terms of structure. It's the same plot thread and the way that the characters come together. You know, there's the same in YA. There's a certain structure of the book. And so I, I like to say, like Helen Wong said, she, we're not necessarily doing anything new structurally it's the characters that you haven't been able to see before get some get some time to shine um and and with that comes culture and you know just from simply to things just like the way that we talk which hasn't been included in books before um so i definitely have been a have been studying this you know, genre for a long time and I deeply respect it. And it's, you know, it's in the back of my mind while I'm writing. I'm like, these are the tropes and things that I read. And I want basically, you know, I want everyone to be able to read it, but I specifically want, you know, black girls, black teens to be able to read this book with these tropes that they might love, but then to be able to see themselves reflected in that art, which is something I did not have. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of just trying to, you know, fill the shelves with these different stories um, of things that I've seen or that I've kind of seen, but I'm like, I could spin that a little bit in this way. And now, you know, I'm going to make the characters kids of color. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of just my overall goal with my career. Absolutely. Do you have another book on the go? <laughs> I knew that was going to be the question. That's <laughs> um, and not, I, don't, I do not have another book. I am working on a couple things. Mm-hmm. I do not have anything in the pipeline for 2021. Okay. But hopefully soon. With 2020 being what it is, uh, who could possibly blame you for that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's yeah. been quite, quite a year. We're only halfway through. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking the time um, to talk with me. Thank you so much for all your very thoughtful answers and for your wonderful books. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Yeah! If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yapodcast, and individually, I'm at tefferbear, and Christina is at Christina Forrest. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Patrons help us buy our books, they help us pay our editor, and really are a big help to us. You can head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons Catherine Reshi, Erica Stitchberry, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, and Chantal Thomas. We also have merch. You can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at TeePublic. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, by subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode or any other with a friend. 
Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by me, Tefera Jemian, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Dungeons. Dragons. Canada. The Multiverse Theory. Corgis. Queer representation. Reconciliation. Angels. Demons. Squirrels. Moose. Moose and squirrels. Sorcerers. Dinosaurs. Forests. Giants. Rogues. Warlocks. Plains. Sewers. Lavender. Natural Toonie. A Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Right here on the Upford Network. Hey there, campers. My name is Emmett, and I'm the host of Gaze in the Woods, a podcast that explores rural LGBTQIA2 experiences, from radical fairies and lesbian farmers to backwoods slam poets and community organizers organizing communities the community didn't know where they were all along. Can you have a pride parade when you're the only gay in the village? What is camp when you live in a trailer? And if a genderqueer bear shares their pronouns in the forest and nobody gets it, is anything real? I don't know, but let's find out together on Gays in the Woods, an Upford Network podcast.